Christ's mission is our mission. There's a reason why our call to share Christ and his gospel is called the Great Commission. Not just another commission, it is the greatest task you'll ever be assigned. Do you know that the tremendous blessing of helping somebody walk from darkness into light is an opportunity that we will never have again after we die? Never. There's no lost people in heaven. There's no need for evangelism. You have one chance to be a part of the work of Christ in saving someone's soul. And you're living in that chance right now. Pretty weighty, huh? Pretty weighty. Yeah, amen. All right, give me a favor. Get your Bible. I'll turn with you to John chapter 10, and uh, we're going to be looking this morning, picking up in verse 7. So if you have a Bible, uh, get that out. Turn with me. John chapter 10, verse 7. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, there's probably a Bible in a, in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. Do me a favor, get your note sheet out. You always just kind of remember more of the things that you write down, so take some notes uh, or get an app, get the Coastal app out. You can take notes on that Coastal app. And by the way, uh, we're about four or five weeks away from launching our fall small group series, and uh, it's going to be eight weeks, and we want every one of you to be a part of a Coastal small group. And just so you know, they're sermon-based small groups. So to prepare for your small group, you want to take some notes, be a part of the corporate worship, take some notes, and that prepares you uh, for the small group. A couple things I want to announce before we jump in. First of all, ladies, uh, we've got Women of the Word on August the 27th at 9.30 right here. Going to be an awesome time, so I hope you can come. There's breakfast, good Bible study, and really, hopefully it'll encourage you to be around some other women pursuing Christ, as well as hopefully encouraging you to even be in a small group. So we have that. A couple missions opportunities. If you're interested in seeing some missions work in Brazil, there's a new family that we're learning about, and they're going to come and share some things that are happening in Brazil. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, August the 20th, and uh, we're going to have dinner. So if you'd register, that helps us make sure we have enough food. And then a current ministry that we do is English Speakers of Other Languages, ESOL, is a ministry that we do at Deer Park uh, Fellowship. We uh, teach English uh, to listen to this, this is really amazing, to 15 nations that all come right to our church door, and we teach them English with the hope of building relationships and talking to them about their Savior, Jesus Christ. So we can always use teachers, uh, bus drivers, teachers' aides, so there is a place for you. This is an incredible ministry, and so we would love for you to be a part. And then finally, last year, we dipped our toe a little bit into a new program called Coastal Tutoring. It's uh, tutoring for children. Uh, it's kind of our own little little education thing that we're dipping our toe in, and we did it last year. Carol Reader's in charge, and so uh, we just want to be praying for this new ministry. We're moving it to our Hampton campus, and uh, and if you're looking for a place to educate your children, uh, Coastal Tutoring may be for you, and so you can reach out to Carol at gocoastal.org and see if this is a good educational tool for you and your family, so be praying for that as well. I want to talk about my wife for a minute. She doesn't know I'm doing this, um, and so this always gets me in trouble. My poor wife does not love Love sports. And, uh, and the reason I say my poor wife is because she grew up, her dad uh, was actually a professional and is a professional soccer coach. And so she has been surrounded by sports and she marries me. I love sports. And so she actually one time uh, wrote a card to her dad uh, on Father's Day that said something like this. It said, Dad, I love you. 
I hate how much you love sports, but I love you anyway. And so she loved her dad, but doesn't love sports. And so she marries me. And if you're like me, really good news. We're just a couple weeks away from the NFL, right? Boom, 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 or whatever. Right, here it comes. I'm so excited. Uh, my team's terrible this year, so I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, and uh, she, my, my wife was kind enough to grieve with me as we traded away our quarterback, and so we had about a week of sackcloth and ashes, so uh, I was just really grieving that, but one of the things that my wife will do, so for those of you who don't know, in the NFL, they play 17 games a year, and uh, usually the my favorite team, a couple times a year, will be like on the Sunday night game or the Monday night game, which means it goes way, you know, till way past midnight, the game's still on, and, uh, and I, my team's a West Coast team, so a lot of times I'll DVR them on Sunday night because we have a small group, and I'll watch it late into the night, and so my wife will usually go to bed, and usually, out of the 17 games, once a year, on Monday morning, or if it's a Monday night game, Tuesday morning, I'll be coming down the steps, and she will look at me, and she'll say, did the Seahawks win last night? And when she does that once a year out of 17 games, I look at her and I'm like, honey, I feel so loved right now that you care. Like, and then she usually is like, whatever. And then we, I never even get her the score of the game. She doesn't know, you know, she's just so annoyed that I say that. But here's the fact of the matter, right? When you love someone, you love what they love. Isn't that true, right? And if you're not sure, have you ever been around grandparents, right? The, 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 the smartphone has made it horrible for people that are new grandparents, for those of us who have to be around new grandparents, right? Like they get the phone out and you see a hundred photos of their grandkid, you know, isn't this kid great, you know, and they're scrolling, they're like, it's, it's fine, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, you don't want to tell them that, but you love what they love, right? One of the things that I found in American Christianity uh, is this idea that I'll run into Christians who will tell me, hey, I love God, and I love Christ, and I love the Lord, but I don't go to church, right? Have you ever heard someone say that? Or I don't feel like I need to go to church. Now, there's a couple things wrong with that. First of all, um, you, when you become a follower of Christ, you get a deposit of the Holy Spirit in your life, and no longer do you go to church, but indeed you, what, you are the church, right? The problem with the idea of, and I use the language of going to church too, just for expedience sake, but, but the problem with the idea of going to church is it becomes this building or this institution that sits on the street corner and I can leave it there and I can go out in the, during the week and, and kind of do or live however I want. When in fact, when I'm a follower of Jesus, I am the church, I take Jesus and his representation of the church with me as I go out in the community, right? And so it then touches every area of our lives as I am the church. And so that's the first thing that's wrong with it. And the second thing that's wrong with this idea that I don't need to go to church is the lack of understanding that if indeed you love Jesus, you love what Jesus loves. And I'm going to tell you something, Jesus loves his church, amen? And, uh, and so what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks is really three uh, New Testament word pictures that the, the Bible gives us to teach us how God feels about his church, okay? 
And so in three weeks, we're going to look at the body. The church is the body of Christ, and we're going to unpack that. And next week, uh, we're going to look at the church is the bride of Christ. I mean, could you use a more intimate word to describe the church and how Jesus sees it than the bride of Christ? And, And this week, we're going to look at how Jesus calls the church his flock, and he uses a sheep and a shepherding metaphor to teach us how he views the church. And so John chapter 10, and, and many of you know John chapter 10, it's, uh, it's a very famous passage. It's the uh, Jesus is the good shepherd passage. And I'll tell you, if I had to pick uh, two passages of two chapters of the Gospels that I love, it's John 10 and John chapter 11. And so, uh, and I love these two chapters. And when you hear me pray uh, frequently, when I'm praying for this church on a Sunday morning, I will use this language and I borrow it from John 10 and John 11. John 10, Jesus teaches us that if we're a follower of him, we have abundant life. And John 11, Jesus teaches us that if we're a follower of Jesus, we also have eternal life. So very, very often when I'm praying, I say, God, I pray that we'll have abundant life and we'll have eternal life because both of those are promised in Christ. And so the abundant life is part of our passage today. So look at this, John chapter 10, verse 7. It says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly." First thing I want you to be aware of this morning is you have to know Jesus to be a part of the church. Now, indeed, we live in a culture where people will be church members, but they also don't know Jesus, okay? Jesus is very clear. To come into the sheepfold, to be a part of the family of God, to be a part of what God is doing, you you have to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you, and, and here's what this means, okay? It means that you don't get to make up the way that you want to believe in the God of the Bible. You don't get to make up the way, the path that you have to get to God, right? As a Christian, I want to give you a Christian worldview for a minute. Christians cannot be going out into the community and affirming or teaching that indeed all roads lead to God. The Bible does not teach that. Jesus gives exclusive claims that he is the only way to God. And he says it in John chapter 10 here. I am the gate to get in to the sheepfold. You have to come through Christ Jesus. Amen, church? Okay, so let me, let me give you some handles this morning. If you're new to Coastal, we use this term all the time, gospel. You'll hear the word gospel over and over and over and over and over and over ad nauseum, okay? Because it's what we stand on. The word gospel means, anybody know? What's it mean? It means good news, right? So if there's good news, there's actually a presumption of what? Bad news, right? So let me give you the bad news so that we can understand the good news so that you can know, hey, I need to come through Christ 
to enter into his flock, his protection, his sheepfold, okay? And so the bad news is our, we have sinned against our creator, okay? Our creator is perfect. He's righteous. He's defined that for us in the word of God. But because of our human fallen condition, we actually violate the very character and the righteousness of God. And so what we actually deserve from God is his punishment and his judgment and his justice. That's what, left in our own condition, we deserve. And so what we actually need to be saved from is the very character of God and his punishment of our sin. That's what we need saving from, okay? That's the bad news. The Bible says it this way. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is what? Is death, okay? So you ready for something really weighty? The way that you know that someone is a sinner is when you're at their funeral, And when you're at the funeral, you go, hey, this person is a sinner. How do I know? Because their body has decayed to the point of death. You are, how do I know that you're a sinner, according to the scriptures? You're going to have a funeral. Therefore, it's testifying to you and to all, your mortality testifies that you are indeed a sinner and paying the wage of sin, which is death. It's pretty weighty, isn't it? I told you I was going to start with the bad news. So that's the bad news. So now let me give you the good news. And by the way, I'm going to give you five things. It's not in your notes, but you should write these down, okay? You should be able, as a member or a regular tender of Coastal, as a Christian, to share the gospel with anyone, the good news. And it's really, I'm going to give you five easy things to remember to share the gospel. Number one, Jesus is God, Okay? What do we say at Christmas time? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, all right? Jesus took on flesh. He walked the planet. God set foot on the planet in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. Number two, for the gospel. Jesus lived a perfect life, okay? This is essential for our salvation, okay? He's the only person that walked the planet that didn't deserve the the pay the wage of sin. He lived a perfect life. It's also essential to our salvation. One day, when you stand before God Almighty and you go to give an account of your life, okay, if you stand there on your own accord, in your own works, in your own sin nature, God, because he's holy, is going to have to punish you justly so. You need to stand there in the credited good works or righteousness of Christ. His perfect life is essential to your salvation. It also makes him an adequate and perfect sacrifice for sin, which leads to number three. So Jesus is God. Jesus lived a perfect life. Number three, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. All right? So he's an adequate sacrifice. So it doesn't mean, of course, Jesus died a martyr's death, a brutal death, right? All of that. Of course, all of that is true. Okay, but Jesus' death was substitutionary where he hung on the cross. And as he hung on the cross, this just, holy, perfect God poured out his wrath and hatred for your sin and my sin on Christ and instead of on us. That's why as Jesus hung on the cross, what did he yell out? My God, my God, why have you what? forsaken me because he's paying the penalty for your sin. 
And by the way, when you look at the crucified, broken, bloodied body of Jesus, and it's gross as you read the Gospels, it is to remind your heart and to remind your mind how much a holy God hates sin. So man, the next time you're tempted to click on that pornography site and that temptation enters your mind, I want you to look at the cross of Christ and say, Christ, bloodied and broken, paid for my sin, that I'm about to indulge my flesh. Christ paid for that. It helps remind us to flee from temptation. It helps remind us the character of God. It helps remind us of the high cost of the freedom that we enjoy, but it came at a high, high price to God. So here we go, the gospel. Jesus is God. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Number four, Jesus bodily rose from the grave. Jesus bodily rose from the grave. Why is this important? There's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is it authenticated the claims of Jesus. So when Jesus in John chapter 10 says, the only way to God is through me. I'm the gate. You want to connect with your creator? You want to be a part of my family? You want to be a part of my sheepfold? It is through me and me alone. I am the only way to the creator God. His resurrection authenticated his claims that he is indeed the son of God. So here's the deal. You run around life, you tell people you're the only, if you do this, you're the only way to God, I go to your funeral, I watch them drop your body into the grave, right? And three days later, you show it up to my house and you say, Sean, I'm alive, I'm the only way to God, you've got my attention, amen? So like, I'm probably listening to you. That's what Jesus did. So it authenticates his claim and number two, it defeats sin's consequence, Right? So the wage of sin is death. We all get a funeral, but the Bible says when we repent of sin and we believe in Jesus, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives inside of us, okay? And so Jesus is the first fruits of a great day of resurrection. And so when we believe in Christ, when you place this body in a grave upon the, now my soul goes to be with the Lord when I die, but on the day of Christ's return, my soul and body will be reconnected in a glorified body that will live forever and ever and ever because Jesus's resurrection assures that we too will have a bodily resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Good news, right? So here it is. Jesus is God. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus bodily rose from the grave. Number four, our response to these facts is to repent, believe, and receive. So number five, repent, believe, and receive. Repent, believe, and receive. Repent means to turn from my sin. I'm a sinner. I deserve the punishment of God, but I'm going to repent and turn. And I'm going to believe in God's rescue plan. Okay, that means I'm going to believe the facts of the gospel. Jesus is God. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Jesus bodily rose from the grave. By the way, they're all four are miracles. Okay, so a lot of times people say, "Well, that's a cult." What what makes a cult? Cults believe weird things. No, you're a Christian. You believe weird things. All right. What makes a cult a cult is they they deal inappropriately with the with the Trinity. Okay, so you believe weird things. You believe in the miracle, miraculous intervention of God Almighty. Isn't that amazing? 
right? And so you repent of your sin, you, and you believe in the facts of the gospel, and then number three, you receive Christ into your life. In other words, it's not just a head knowledge belief in Christ, but rather it's a life-altering pursuit of the person and the work of Christ. Amen, church? And so that is the good news. And so membership of a, 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 in, the, in the family of God is not like a com- country club membership, but it rather is us acknowledging the good news of the gospel and receiving the gospel. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, the only way to be a part of my sheepfold is to come through me. That's how we come through Christ. Okay, letter B. I think we're going to understand what Jesus is teaching here. We have to understand the nature of sheep. When Jesus calls us sheep, it's not the most endearing term. Okay, sheep are actually quite stupid. And so... um, and so the nature sheep, first of all, number one, sheep are defenseless, okay? So that tells us that we need some form of protection. Like, you know, we so frequently think that we are so sufficient in ourselves when that is so not true, right? We, can, we have so little protection around our finances and our health and you know, we so depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sheep are defenseless. They need protection. Number two, sheep move in groups, all right? Sheep do not go off by themselves, generally speaking. They move in groups, which reminds us that we're created for community. Number three, sheep need direction and leadership, which means that we need to be followers of God and his word, All right, so Jesus calls us his sheep. Sheep have some really incredible needs, and Jesus is our good shepherd. And how does he, how is he our good shepherd? Well, first of all, number one, he protects you by saving you, right? Jesus protects you from the penalty of your sin. Jesus saves you from God's wrath. Jesus protects you as you walk in holiness and righteousness, Number two, Jesus, the good shepherd, will give you freedom. Jesus says that they will come, they'll know me, and they will come and go freely and find good pasture. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that as we do things his way, we follow his word, we will have freedom. A lot of times I think we don't follow after Christ because we think, some of you may be wrestling with this in your own, your own spirit today, like I'm not going to pursue or follow Christ because Christ is the cosmic killjoy, right? If I have to walk in holiness and righteousness, man, I'm not going to know the freedom and the joy of walking on Christ. And what Jesus is telling us, it's just the opposite. When we follow Christ and do things his way, we find pasture, We find life, we find joy, we find sustenance. Young people, when you date in purity and in holiness and in righteousness, it's not not that God's holding out on you, it's that he's he's giving you life and he's giving you joy as you date. As you give your money generously, as we talked about a couple weeks ago as we were wrapping up James, right? You would think that would rob you of joy, but instead it gives you joy as you grow to be a generous person, as God is indeed a a generous God. As your marriage is built on the word of God, men, you love your wife as Christ loves the church. You sacrifice for her as Christ has sacrificed for her. And women, 
You respect your husband as unto the Lord, as worship to the Lord. When you build your marriage this way, it brings life and it gives freedom. God is indeed not the, the, the cosmic killjoy. And so we know the freedom Christ brings and we know his voice as we listen to his word, which by the way, at Coastal, like if you're new here, like we're going to open the word of God every single week and we're going to tell you what it says and we're going to preach what it says and we're going to build our lives on what it says. And listen, as we live now in a, in, in a post-Christian America, my goal in that is not to be argumentative. And my goal is not for us to be weird outcasts. My goal is that I believe that the word of God and doing things Christ's way brings freedom and to do it the opposite way brings bondage. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will do something. What will it do? It will set you free. And I think as we live in a post-Christian America and we do think we get further and further away from the from the words of God's my fear is not only are we going to spirit are we going to experience spiritual bondage, but it's a matter of time till we experience physical bondage. Because bondage is all, all of it, wrapped up together, right? And so we are going to be the conscience of, a, of our culture and say, no, this is what God's word says. Jesus, the good shepherd, number three, gives abundant life, right? He says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but it's only Christ and his gospel that gives abundant life. And so as we, his church, follow after the word of God, we adjust our lives to the word of God, God gives us abundant life. The second thing I want you to see this morning the good shepherd leads his church. Sheep need leadership. And Jesus is the good shepherd that leads the church. John 10, 11 says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because... He's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Listen, church, Jesus cares for you. Jesus cares for his sheep. And he leads his sheep. And by the way, if you're thinking about leading something, if you want to lead in the church of Jesus Christ, we need to develop and lead the way Jesus leads, right? How did Jesus lead? Letter A, Jesus sacrificed for his sheep. How did Jesus sacrifice for the sheep? Well, first he, he sacrificed his body on the cross. He suffered and died for our sins. Listen, as you read the Gospels and you, you see the bloodied, broken, beaten body of Christ, we're to look at that cross and that word picture, right? And we are... We are to be reminded that Jesus sacrificed for our sin. I, uh, I was, my wife and I were having this conversation yesterday. I'm like, I don't always love Christian movies because I just, I just feel, you know, it's, it's the criminal in the movie that when he's really frustrated, he's like, you know, golly gee willikers. It just doesn't land with me, you know, like that's just how I feel about them. And so like we do that, I think sometimes like the, the Bible is earthy and real, and we're to, we're, to, we're to look at the, at the crucifixion of Christ and say, that's how much God in Christ sacrificed for me. Philippians chapter 2, 
How much did Christ sacrifice for us? Paul says he humbled himself, not considering equality with God something to be held on to so tightly, but he took on flesh, he took on a body, and he entered this place with us. Luke chapter 9 says Jesus at times had no place to lay his head. The foxes have a play, the animals, the birds have a nest, but the king, Pastor Sean is a Tempur-Pedic, but the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords has no place to lay as he sacrificed for us. Jesus sacrificed for you so that he could be in, so that the God of the universe could be in relationship for you, with you. Jesus cares for his sheep. Jesus cares for you. That's why he says the thief doesn't care. The thief runs off and leaves them. But, but Jesus, the good shepherd, he cares for you. He enters into your midst. He knows every hair on your head. He, he, first Peter, Peter says in the first letter to the church, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Whatever you're going through this week, we can enter into the presence of God and cast our cares on Jesus Jesus cares for everybody in this room. Jesus cares for you. He cares for the person sitting next to you. Deeply, he cares about them. That person that was sitting behind you ruining the last song because they can't sing because they were singing so loud. Jesus cares for that person too, right? And that person in your small group, you know that person in your small group who dominates and takes over the small group and it's uncomfortable for everybody? Jesus cares for that person as well, right? And if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I don't, I don't think our small group has that person. Okay, he cares for you too, all right? So <clears throat> the one's not laughing, could be that people. Like, I don't get it. What's he talking about? So, no, Jesus cares for his church. And by the way, side note, like if you aspire to church leadership, by the way, what does is, what is the Bible call local church leaders? Calls them what? Pastors. Pastor. What's pastor mean? Pastor means shepherd, right? Now, a pastor in a church has a stewardship responsibility to serve under the good shepherd, right? And so you can expect, and no human being does it perfectly, right? No human being perfectly sacrifices, perfectly loves, perfectly cares. But your leaders, you can expect church leaders to be caring for the sheep the way Jesus cared for the sheep. And by the way, if you're sitting here and you're aspiring to church leadership, you need to grow and love the church the way Jesus loves the church. Be willing to sacrifice, be willing to care, be willing to love, be willing to give time, be willing to be intimate, because Jesus indeed loves and cares for his church, and he leads it through sacrifice and through care. Third thing, final thing I want you to see this morning, Jesus intimately knows his sheep, and likewise, his, the sheep intimately know their shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus finishes this section here by saying, I'm the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Two things I want to point out of this section here. First of all, for Christians, there is an intimacy in knowing God's voice. Now, how do we know God's voice 
We know God's voice through the word of God. A Christian, because they love Christ and they love his church and they know his voice, means that they should know the word of God. And so as a Christian, that means that we need to be in the word of God. And we're not trying to manipulate the word of God. We're not trying to deconstruct the word of God. We're not trying to make the word of God culturally palatable so that everyone likes us. Now, we're not trying to be unnecessarily brash, but we have to look and open and read and teach and know the word of God in such a way that we know God's word. And those that are God's sheep know God's word. They love God's word. And listen to this. They adjust their life to doing God's word. Jesus says, they know me, I know them, they know my voice. And we know the word of God. In fact, this year, we, uh, if you've been around Coastal for the, all of 2022, um, we kicked off the year doing a dwell. Anybody remember we sent out a dwell book? And we said, hey, let's take the year and let's dwell in the word of God. And let's try to read through the word of God. And some of you right now, as I'm saying, like, oh, yeah, I did that for until about January the 18th. Okay, something like that. And I just ran, ran out of gas. And so listen, this is not to shame you. I want to encourage you. Okay, just pick it up. Pick it up again and keep going. Did you know that you can read through the word of God in one year by giving the word of God 15 minutes a day? I guarantee you for many, many of us, maybe most of us in this room, our social media gets every bit of 15 minutes a day, right? Studies show it's way more than that, all right, for the average American. 15 minutes a day we can read through the word of God so that we know the word of God. And know his word in intimacy because God has, has words for you to instruct your life. And it's not to make your life miserable. It's to make it better, right? Uh, you probably know this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? We trust in the Lord with all our hearts. In all our ways, we do what? Anybody know this verse? We acknowledge him. Not some of our ways. God, in, well, all, most of my ways, except my marriage, in all my ways, I mean, except my dating life. In all my ways, except my pocketbook. No, in all my ways, I acknowledge him, right? And when we acknowledge him in all our ways, what does he do for us, right? We lean not into our own understanding. In all our ways, we acknowledge him. What does he do? He makes the path really difficult. Isn't that what it says? Proverbs 3, 5, 6? No, he makes the path straight, why does he do that? Because he loves us. He cares for us. He wants to give you a straight path through your life. As you know the word, adjust to the word, follow the word, in all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path. The second thing I want you to see how this final passage this morning is that Jesus here says something really radical in verse 16. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So let me back up here and tell you what Jesus does. This is really quite shocking, actually, because Jesus, letter B, has a desire for others to be a part of his sheepfold. Jesus has a desire for others to be a part. Jesus here, so Old Testament Jesus blessed the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, to be a blessing to all the other nations. But the Jews, somewhere along the way, had lost sight of this. And so Jesus shows up, and he says that he's kind of bringing all that God had promised through Abraham. All the nations of Abraham will be blessed through you. Jesus is reminding, I'm the door to the sheep, and I'm going to bless all the nations. And so what Jesus is doing, he's talking to a bunch of Jews here, and he's saying, I'm about to graft in the Israelites 
I mean the Gentiles. I'm about the graft in the Gentiles. So if you're here today and you're not Jewish, um, about 99% of us in this room are here today because Jesus said, I'm about to reach a whole bunch of people that aren't here yet, of which you're a part. Isn't that cool? Right? And so now I've been reading through Acts, and Acts chapter 10 through 15 God does something really, really cool. He shows up to Peter, the apostle, and he says, and Peter has this vision. Anybody know the vision? The sheet comes down with these unclean animals, and God says, Peter, you can eat those animals. And he's like, what are you talking about? I follow the Old Testament food laws. And it's a metaphor to teach Peter, I'm about to reach the Gentiles. And so what happens is there's a Roman centurion named Cornelius Peter goes to Cornelius' house, shares the gospel. Cornelius and all his household repent. They receive the Holy Spirit, and Peter starts to go around the other apostles. You're not going to believe this. The Gentiles are having the same kind of spiritual revival as us Jews. And then it goes on, and God raises up Paul and Silas and they and Paul and Barnabas, and they begin to go out to the Gentile nations, and the Gentiles are one to Christ. It actually creates a theological controversy in Acts chapter 15. It's really cool to see how the church fusses through its first theological controversy, and they kind of to come to an agreement, really, really neat, worth reading. And, and, and then, but Jesus through, here in John 10 begins to find his fulfillment in Acts that the Gentiles are reached. All that to say is that our God is passionate for the people that aren't here yet. Amen? And so as followers of Jesus, we never need to see our church as a holy huddle, that it's only for us. We always need to have the eyes of Christ and say, man, there's people that aren't here yet, people that don't smell like us and don't vote like us and don't look like us and don't even believe like us yet. The goal is not to make them a Democrat or a Republican. Amen? Get off Facebook and stop worrying about them being a Democrat or a Republican and have them become a follower of Jesus because once they become a follower of Jesus, they will hear his word, know his word, and their worldview will be transformed because they're transformed by the inside out, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know who they'll vote for after that, but I know that they'll follow Jesus. Amen? And so Christians, we need to always have the mindset, man, if somebody walks in this room that has a different worldview than us, praise God. I want you to follow. Hey, let me introduce you to the good shepherd. He is the gate to the sheepfold, and we want you in the sheepfold. We should be always welcoming and excited and out in our community saying, man, I want to reach people that don't look like me and smell like me and do like me and even have the same worldview as me. I want to introduce them to Christ and let him take care of the worldview as they follow his word. Amen? All right. I want to finish with this this morning. So take your Bible and flip over to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I want to finish with this idea. All of us, at the end of the day, follow a shepherd. All of us. This is kind of a Romans 1 idea. It's not... It's not if you worship. You're a worshiper. You're a follower of a shepherd of some sort. The question is, is your shepherd that you're following leading you to life or leading you to bondage? I want to suggest to you that probably the most common shepherd, the most highlighted shepherd in our current culture 
is the shepherd of self. Just follow yourself. You're, you're the pinnacle of what you should be following. So, so in other words, you're saying that I can just trust in myself. I, I know enough. I'm smart enough. I'm, I'm pure of heart enough to trust and follow myself completely. So the shepherd of self uses language like this. Just trust your heart. Now, the danger of that, according to the Scriptures, apart from a new heart being given to us by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God being in our hearts, the danger of that is our hearts are wicked. The scripture says you can't, even, you can't trust your heart. It's deceitful. It can deceive you. The language of the shepherd of self is live your truth. It's really important that you live what's true for you. The problem with that worldview is it's inconsistent because your truth might be different from your truth, might be different from your truth, might be different from your truth. Truth is not multiple things that are in disagreement being true at the same time. There's no thing as your truth. There is the truth. It's a one thing. And so self is a, is a really bad shepherd because here's the deal. You ready for this? And maybe you're not willing to admit this, but you're ready. I'll admit it. I've let myself down from time to time. Have you ever let yourself down? Have you ever said, man, I cannot believe I just did that. I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe whatever. So you're not a very trustworthy shepherd. Maybe your shepherd is a, a political party. And if everybody would just see the way the Democrats see. If everybody would just become a Republican. If we can get to the bottom of why they serve that search warrant. And my hope is in the federal government. May God have mercy on your soul. Listen, we, we do that, man. This politician, this political party, this world, this is my shepherd. Or maybe it's a person. Man, my, my girlfriend's going to save me. Like she, she, you know, my boyfriend. You know, we Jerry Maguire it. You, you complete me. You know, like, you're my shepherd. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's your pastor. Like your pa listen, talk to my wife. You want to talk about a pastoral letdown, okay? Like there's no human being that's the appropriate shepherd. Today, I want to implore you. I mean really implore you to follow the good shepherd. And we're going to look I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm, but I'm going to narrate it as I read. The 23rd Psalm is a favorite for us. It's written by King David, who was a shepherd by trade, but he was just a type of the perfect and complete good shepherd that was yet to come. I feel very, very confident that as Jesus was doing his teaching in John chapter 10, that he had in mind, I am the fulfillment of the 23rd Psalm the good and perfect shepherd. So you ready? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Man, if you came in here incomplete today, it's because you're looking to an incomplete shepherd. You need the Lord as your shepherd. When the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not be in want. What does the shepherd do? What does Jesus do? He makes me lie down in green pastures. That means he gives you food, spiritual sustenance. He leads me beside the still waters. Did you know that a sheep will not drink if the river is running too quickly? We need to be led by still waters so that we can find the spiritual quenching for the thirst of our souls. He restores my soul. Is your soul broken? Is it fractured? Because someone has abused you or sinned against you or there's an injustice against you or there's something that you did, a sin that violated your soul so deeply that you came in here wounded and fractured. Well, guess what? The good shepherd restores your soul. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which by the way, every single one of us walks through the valley of the shadow of death. Our mortality scares us. We think it's incomplete. This is why the resurrection of Christ is so important because he indeed has overcome the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe you went to the doctor this week and he told you you had cancer. Maybe you buried a loved one this year and you missed them so dearly. Even though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because Christ has risen again. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, these are the tools of the shepherd that protect the sheep. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is amazing. Listen, the part of corporate worship is feasting on Christ in the middle of a very difficult week. This is battle language. We are in the middle of the battle till Christ returns and it's broken and it's difficult and the enemies of God they're starving to death but the good shepherd in the midst of difficulty prepares a banquet feast to refresh your soul you uh, you build this table before me while my enemies have to look on and want as Christ fills us up you anoint my head with oil which is the idea that God gives us honor and God gives us the Holy Spirit you you anoint my head with oil so much that my cup overflows and as I follow the good shepherd, guess what comes behind me? Surely goodness of God and the mercy of God. It will follow me all the days of my life. And I know that this earth is just a temporary thing because one day my faith will become sight and Jesus will return. And forever and ever and ever, I will live with him and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is what the good shepherd has for you. Amen, church. So I want to employ you this morning, know and follow the good shepherd. And by the way, some of you as Christians, you've been sitting here this morning, you've been thinking, well, he's preaching to people that don't know Jesus. That's not true. Even as Christians, sometimes my eyes get distracted. The life is hard, you know, things hit us and I get distracted. And so we need to be reminded, man, I need to follow hard after the good shepherd. And when we do that, the Lord is my shepherd. Guess what? I shall not be in want. He's got green pastures, he's got still waters, he's got restoration for your soul, he's got banquet feasts of rest when you need them. And he's got a purpose, and he's got an eternal purpose that 
one day we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite the prayer team up. Prayer team, come on up under the under the screens. If you're here today, you need prayer because your soul is fractured. They would love to pray with you. Don't go it alone. If you need to know how to follow the good shepherd, what does it mean to be a follower of the good shepherd? They will tell you after the service. They would love to talk. And then I'm going to pray quickly. And then we're going to sing through song. Remind our hearts and our minds what a great God we give. Because he gave us such a great and mighty good shepherd. Heavenly Father, we praise you today. Thank you for sending us the good shepherd. Thank you for the banquet feast that we get in the presence of our enemies. Thank you for restoring our soul. Thank you for green pastures that we're allowed to go out and partake of. and still waters where our soul is thirsty and you quench the thirst in our soul. And we thank you, God, for the hope of eternal life that I know I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in the meantime, as I follow hard after you, goodness and mercy trail behind, protecting the backside of our journey. We praise you. And great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's go out singing this morning.